Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today you're going to hear round one from a show recorded August 20th, 2013 at the Nerd Melt Theater in L.A., featuring Derek Sheen, Tyson Karash, Maddie Ryan, Lizzie Pilcher, and Amber Tozer, reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon subjects of their choosing. Enjoy. Welcome your first competitor who has come prepared tonight in round one, Mr. Derek Sheen. Derek Sheen, ladies and gentlemen. All right, I'm doing uh, sort of a mix of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves if it was filtered through Elmore Leonard. Uh, so, so this is Snowy White and a Multitude of Tiny Pimps. Snowy White pulled her dirty short shorts up over her tattered fishnets and grabbed her favorite bluish blouse with the yellow piping over the puffy white sleeves. It had a huge, almost cartoonish collar. That sure is a ridiculous blouse with that almost cartoonish collar, iterated the ginger-bearded former writer from E! Network's Fashion Police, starring tight-skinned human Muppet Joan Rivers, who has had so many facelifts she has no skin left on her feet. (laughs) As he lay under the covers of the cheap motel bed. Whatever, and make me look like a fucking princess and shit, she said, forcing the words out through her very tiny mouth. Oh, Snowy had a really tiny mouth. Besides her ridiculous top that she insisted on wearing every single day, she was also well known for her scientifically impossible mouth. To her regulars, this unique feature was the main selling point and the reason for all of her return business. It was like butthole tight. And this was... And this was a real turn-on for potential Johns because, seriously, anal with a prostitute is just one of those things that you don't do, like gas station sushi or petting a black dude's pit bull. (laughs) Leave the money on the Dwesa, Snowy's face queefed. (laughs) Oh, this is my tenth one, so it's supposed to be free, right, said Brian Cook as he grabbed his... As he grabbed his crumpled chinos from the nightstand and fished through the front pockets for his punch card, which actually did have nine holes punched into it. So this one was definitely free. Snowy grimaced. Well, actually, her very tiny mouth made it hard to grimace. So it was more of a sour look, like someone trying to whistle for the first time. Or that look you got when you smelled your own fart after eating at a Red Lobster. Snowy produced a hole punch from her from out of her battered sports bra, took his ticket and punched a hole through the number 10. You'll have to go to the lobby for your free sandwich because I don't carry those with me anymore. (laughs) Her pinched face squeaked. It was true. Snowy no longer carried the complimentary hoagie-style sandwiches that she gave away with the 10th purchase anymore. There was an incident. It's not important to the story. But suffice it to say, the sandwiches are now available in the motel lobby. A lot of guys really love those sandwiches, and it's a pretty solid customer reward program. Snowy pushed her face into the mirror and tried to apply some lipstick, which was futile because she had the equivalent of, like, half a lip. <laughs> but she insisted on trying to wear it anyways, even though the alarming splash of CoverGirl's Paint the Town Red Queen Collection lip color made her face look like a living snowball that had been stabbed in a prison fight with a sharpened toothbrush. <laughs> she opened the door, and the bright daylight hit her harder than the realization that you just came up with the perfect answer to a stupid question that had been asked days before. She headed back towards the street, 
back to that tiny face money. Her wicked stepmother depended on her to make it in order to keep the cable on in the goo-gone-fested porcelain animal collection slash meth lab she called a trailer. (laughs) Wicked stepmother, which she insisted on being called because she was possibly special needs, not to mention an incredibly shitty stepmother, (laughs) was staring at her reflection in her scratched and foggy Night Ranger Coke mirror that she had duct-taped to the shelf above her Hummel collection. Mirror, mirror... Mirror, 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 mirror. Which she kept repeating for about an hour because she had just dobbed some hash and was in a feedback loop she couldn't seem to pull out of. (laughs) Eventually, she stopped repeating herself long enough to become super paranoid. (laughs) Hey, mirror. She addressed the mirror now because she was high as fuck. And honestly, you should have used the buddy system. Which, if you're dobbing, seriously, always have a trip pound and some orange slices ready to go. (laughs) Always. And seriously, avoid mirrors, guys, unless you want your brain to melt inside of your skull. (laughs) That's when her reflection looked back at her and spoke. Snowy White's trying to kill you, man, said the mirror, which was actually just Wicked Stepmother projecting her own paranoia about the possibility of her stepdaughter eventually gaining a sense of self-awareness and leaving her to fend for herself because her biggest fear was being totally alone. And she was in her own head about it, which is why she was doing hash in the middle of the fucking afternoon and talking to a mirror. (laughs) You need to get that trick in check, said the mirror. She's going to find a new pimp, and then she won't need you anymore. And then you're going to have to get a job, and you're going to have all those unused punch cards that you paid for because you believe in building return business with a loyalty-based reward system. And, and Oswald didn't act alone. And Area 51 and the moon landing was fake. And Michelle Bachman and gay marriage will ruin the sanctity of traditional marriage. And Obama said her hazy mirror reflecting her Tea Party value system, which was appropriate because she lived in a trailer, made meth, pimped her own stepdaughter out, was possibly special needs and besides all that really bought into the whole Randy and free market capitalism ideology that was rampant within that retarded movement (laughs) fuck said wicked stepmother I gotta smack that trick down before her ass wises up then the mirror spoke up one more time also remember to wash that pussy cause that pussy stink said the mirror uh, who was apparently now an asshole and also kinda right That's it then, I'll have to poison Snowy White, she said, because she had apparently lost the ability to deliberate like a normal human being and just went straight to murder as a viable solution to the situation she'd created in her own head. Eventually, after spending the next 25 minutes trying to find something poisonous, she just ended up crushing some rupees into fruit leather and passed out on the dirty futon. Snowy Snowy had barely hit the street corner when a rusted through Impala with tinted windows pulled up to meet her. The windows were definitely self-tinted because the tinting was wrinkled and assed out and peeling off in the corners. It was a shit job, and window tinting should always be done by a professional. (laughs) Otherwise, it's going to look ridiculous. The motto is, if you can't afford to have it done, you can't afford to have it done right. (laughs) Well, they're either Asian or Mexican, she said to herself, because she was a horrible fucking racist. The Tejano music was unbearably blasting from inside the bondoed, primered body of the once majestic Impala. Definitely Mexican, Snowy said, still pretty racistly. <laughs> Just then, the window rolled down to reveal her neighbor, Pedro, who was indeed very Mexican. Pedro looked distressed. Snowy, get in the car, he exclaimed, without an accent, because I'm not a monster. <laughs> 
Pedro, you know I don't trip friends and neighbors, plus I'm out of loyalty cards. She didn't need to tell him that last part. He could go online and print them off the website. Oh, yeah, did I mention they had a website? They're in Nevada. I should have mentioned that. It's a pretty lo-fi HTML kind of affair, but it had all the pertinent information. Plus, you could print your custom loyalty cards. So, again, it wasn't a complete waste. <laughs> no, Snowy, as much as I would love to try fucking your butthole face, that's not why I'm here. Your mom was, she cut him off. Step mom, she corrected him. Stepmom, fuck, whatever. Anyway, she was tripping balls and yelling at herself about poisoning you. She even came next door and asked me for some poison. I gave her some roofies to play with because I didn't know what the fuck else to do. And I watched her crush them up and put them in some fruit roll-ups. So whatever you do, do not eat the fruit roll-ups. Anyway, get in the car. I figure you can come stay in my crib for a couple days until things cool down. Plus, you can meet my cousins. They're super tiny pimps. When Snowy and Pedro pulled into the dusty trailer park, she kept her head low because halfway there she felt guilty about her friends and neighbors clause, which was weird once she heard herself saying it. I mean, it's one thing to have some operating standards, but you should be flexible once in a while. So she was now furiously sucking on Pedro's cock, (laughs) which looked kind of like a baby's foot. If a baby's foot ended in a ball of helmet-shaped flesh instead of toes. And if his cock had toes on it, though, let's be honest, she'd still work it, but it'd probably take her a minute to build up the courage to get down to brass tacks. (laughs) Pedro let out a sigh and patted the back of her head gently. Okay, little dove, you can stop now. I'm not going to come. Your tiny mouth kind of freaks me out. And I have to be honest, your inability to move your head up and down because the opening builds so much suction once you've managed to get it around my shaft is frankly a huge turnoff. But I certainly appreciate your trying. Pedro's brutal honesty and solid critique was actually appreciated by Snowy, who gave him a duly noted before they headed into his dull and tarnished vintage jet stream. She could hear many voices inside the small trailer. How many cousins did you say are staying with you? Inquired Snowy. Seven. Seven cousins. Seven dwarfs, Snowy White, Pedro said. Dwarves, Snowy corrected him. Dwarf is the singular. Dwarves with a V is the plural of dwarfs. <laughs> oh, thanks for the heads up. It's refreshing to have my grammar corrected by a prostitute with a speech impediment. <laughs> I'll be sure to add that to the list of shit I never expected to happen throughout the course of my adult life, said Pedro with a fuck-ton of confidence. (laughs) When they walked into Pedro's trailer, Snowy was amazed to see the place was clean and well-decorated. She couldn't believe how nice his trailer was, because she had a preconceived notion of how it should look after viewing everything about Pedro through the broad prism of her racist thoughts. Snowy, let me introduce you to my cousins. Pedro pointed to the seven smallish men, hungrily staring at Snowy and her very little mouth, like diabetics eyeing a chocolate waterfall at a wedding reception of some friends of other friends that they didn't really know very well, but who invited them out anyways out of polite consideration, not knowing about their predetermined medical condition. (laughs) Guys, meet Snowy. Snowy, the guys. And then Pedro introduced them by their pimp handles. So here you've got gropey, skeezy, fingers, gummo, dingus... Felchie and Professor Puss Crusher. <laughs> Say hello, guys. They all said hello. Then one of them, Professor Puss Crush, got up and approached her from across the room. He grabbed her hand and his tiny, well-manicured little hand gently kissed it and said, It's wonderful to meet you. You're very beautiful. I would like to offer you this fruit roll-up. Snowy graciously accepted it because she's a fucking horrible listener. I mean, she looked like she was paying attention earlier, but she was actually humming a song about wheels in her head most of the time. <laughs> It's called active listening, and a lot of people do it. Oh, Pedro, Gummo, Dingus, Professor, I can't thank you enough for letting me crash here for a couple of days. Takes a bite of fruit, re- <laughs> fruit leather until things quiet down, and fruit leather is my favorite, collapses on the floor. 
So the story ends with eight tiny naked men. Oh, because after she passed out, Pedro's eighth cousin, Cummy, showed up. Um, he wasn't as popular as the other cousins because he got caught once eating his own spunk, and that somehow ostracized him mainly out of sheer homophobia. Because frankly, there's no harm in experimenting, and you should know what it tastes like. I mean, it's not going to hurt you or make you gay. It's your body, and you should know it. But Cummy's cousins were obviously alphas. Otherwise, they wouldn't have roofied Snowy and spent the next six hours violating her like the Supreme Court violated the nation's trust by allowing Citizens United ruling or striking down the Voting Rights Act. <laughs> Which should leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Not unlike the bad taste of tainted fruit leather or dwarf cum. <laughs> the moral of the story is, if you're a racist Tea Party asshole... You deserve to be gang-banged by Mexican dwarfs, who, by the way, were born in this country and, <laughs> and don't deserve to have the nationalism question just because of their heritage. Study hard, stay in school, and don't be a fucking asshole. Thank you. Good night. Derek Sheen. And please welcome back to the stage Amber Tozer. Amber Tozer, ladies and gentlemen. I um, am um, doing Dr. Phil and, <laughs> and his wife. But, and I don't know if you guys know this, but before, during every show, his wife sits in the audience. And she's there on camera. Like they just, she's there smiling at him. So <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Okay. Minutes before taping, Dr. Phil was getting ready to do what he always does before the show. Tell his wife, Robin, to not do anything fucking stupid or he's going to fuck her shit up. <laughs> Here's the deal. They hate each other. She hates that she has to sit in the audience during every single one of his shows. And he hates the fact that she keeps getting plastic surgery. He can't tell people to work on their self-esteem and confidence when he's married to a lady who hates her face. As Dr. Phil approached Robin's dressing room, he could overhear her on the phone. Phil and I haven't had sex in 14 years, and the last time we even tried, he farted a few times, and then he came all over my foot. <laughs> Overwhelm overwhelming feelings of unworthiness and shame took over every fiber of his being. Then, then he heard her say, The only thing that's been in my vagina for the past 14 years are cucumbers, bananas, vitamin bottles, TV remotes, and other men's dicks. <laughs> His feelings turned to rage. He can't be married to this blabbermouth, comp-faced bitch whore who'd rather fuck a vegetable than him. 30 seconds till taping. He's freaking out. Robin walked out of the dressing room to take her seat in the audience, and as she passed Phil, she said, loser, hypocrite, liar, fraud. That's it. He's had it. 15 seconds until taping. Dr. Phil looks at his notes for the show and is hit with inspiration. He has an idea. Five. Four, three, two, rolling. And then we hear the announcer say, Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Phil. The audience stands up and cheers. Robin stays in her seat and gives him a slow clap. He walks, he walks out on stage and waves at the audience. Thank you. I can't do an, an impression, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Today on our show, we have a group of young men who say their addiction to porn has ruined their sex life. They say when they have sex with a woman, it, it always is a disappointment because, and I quote, that most women don't fuck like porn stars. So please welcome to the stage Robbie, Bobby, Louie, and Tommy. The boys walk out on stage and take a seat. We also have a porn star here. Please welcome her to the stage. Give me dick. No one walks out. Dr. Phil pretends to be irritated. Where's give me dick? A producer rushes up and whispers in Phil's ear. He shakes his head and says, sorry, folks. 
Uh, she had a, med- a, medical in- a medical emergency, and she has to go to the hospital. Someone yells from the audience, is it herpes or gonorrhea? And Dr. Phil's like, it's gonorrhea. Um, <laughs> then he, re- he reassures the audience, this is not a problem, folks. All we need is a lady who has a lot of sexual experience. A few women raise their hands. Pick me, pick me, I fuck all the time. <laughs> Dr. Phil eyes the audience and says, Robin, sweetheart, why don't you take Gimme Dick's place? Come on up here. She's mortified. Usually she loves to be on camera, but not in this case. The audience chants, Robin, Robin, Robin. Dr. Phil is glowing. So he's like, all right, let's cut to the chase. You boys just basically want to be able to have sex with a woman in real life and like it, right? The boys nod. All right, well, I want you to fuck my wife and try to like it. (laughs) Robin smiles her fake smile. She can't refuse or protest because it would be bad for their image. Yeah, sure, okay. Tommy, a 22-year-old stocky Asian boy jumps up and says, I'll go first, but in order for me to get hard, Mrs. McGraw, I'm going to have to teabag you. (laughs) Phil smiles. Robin lays down on stage and Bobby takes off his pants. He has a birthmark on his thigh that's shaped like the outline of Africa. Someone from the audience yells, cool birthmark. He says, thanks. Then he dunks his balls. (laughs) 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 Then he dunks his balls in her mouth like 40 times. (laughs) You can tell he's done this a lot because his quads are ripped. (laughs) Finally, Dr. Phil asks, Bobby, are you hard yet? He shakes his head, no. Dr. Phil's like, wow, you really are desensitized. Take a break. Tommy, it's your turn. Tommy's very attractive. He's a muscular but not too muscular, thick, sandy blonde hair and a shy demeanor. Robin sits up and takes, sits up and looks at him. She She runs her fingers through his hair. She's turned on by his timidness. She tries to wink at him, but her eyelid gets stuck on the bottom of her eye. She uses her finger to open her eye back up and then sticks that same finger in Tommy's mouth. He gags. She takes off her $1,500 business suit, and underneath she's wearing both a girdle and Spanx. She says, Phil, I wish I knew I was going to be making love to strangers on the show today. I wouldn't have worn these Spanx. They take forever to get off. A PA runs out to the stage and hands her a pair of scissors. She cuts the crush out of them, and her hairless, wrinkly vagina lips pop out like a jack-in-the-box toy. (laughs) Then she strums them like a guitar, (laughs) and Tommy throws up and runs off stage. Louie, a middle-aged bald guy, cannot contain himself. He has a fetish for saggy lips. He rips off his pants and mounts Robin. He slides his erect penis inside of her. He looks too much like Phil for, for Robin to enjoy it. He lifts her legs over her head so he, has, so he can have easy access to suck on her rotten meat curtains. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Meanwhile, Bobby sits motionless watching Louie tongue her vagina crack. From where he's sitting, he can get a great view of Robin's bleached asshole. He's from a small town and has never heard of anal bleaching. He's seen, it if, he's seen a few white assholes when watching porn, but he just thought it was a recessive gene or something. <laughs> he wants to check it out. He gets down on all fours and has just enough room to run his finger over her white butthole. Then out of nowhere, Gimme Dick runs out on stage with duct tape all over her body screaming, They tied me up! I've been locked in the closet the whole time! Everyone's freezing. Dr. Phil starts farting. He's like, sorry, I ate baked beans. <laughs> Louis, <laughs> Louis, re- Louis removes his lips from Ro- Robin's disgusting vagina, and Bobby takes his finger out of her butthole. 
Robin jumps up. What the hell's going on here, Phil? He fesses up. I tied up Gimme Dick because I wanted you to get fucked by all these boys. Why? Because I hate you and I thought it'd be funny for a bunch of guys with a porn addiction to stick their balls in your mouth and play with your bleached butthole. And Bobby yells, oh, it's bleached. Now I get it. (laughs) Robin, always the one to make sure her marriage looks perfect in the eye of the public, grabs Phil's cock and says, honey, you you must have misheard me. I think our sex life is better than any porn these boys have ever watched. The boys are like, yeah, right, prove it, lady. So Robin Robin takes off Dr. Phil's pants in his, in his boxer shorts and slides his abnormally huge dick into her mouth. It's so big, even when it's flaccid, she can only get it halfway in. Dr. Phil farts some more. She starts gagging. <laughs> Gimme Dick, well aware that the cameras are rolling, turns on her sex persona and becomes her sex coach. Phil cannot stop farting, so Gimme puts, Gimme puts Robin's finger in his asshole and says, the first person to ever stick someone's finger in a... In, their, in someone else's butthole was doing it to tur- wasn't doing it to turn them on. It was to stop their farts. <laughs> Bobby, Louie, and Robbie are all masturbating to Gimme Dick as she coaches a sex session. Gimme continues, Now, Phil, I want you to bend her over and rub your dick all over her stretched-out, saggy lips and insert yourself inside of her. He follows instructions. He can't believe how good Robin feels. She's, she's tight because she has a type A personality and does, like, 1,000 kegels every day. <laughs> In fact, she starts doing kegels while he's, he's inside of her. With each squeeze of her vagina, his 13-inch cock is hug, hugged by her pussy. <laughs> Robin, is even, Robin is even enjoying herself. She hasn't had this big of a dick inside of her since she fucked Phil's brother two years earlier. <laughs> They're falling in love again. He's about to come. Gimme Dick yells, don't come inside of her. Do it on her face. The boys yell, yeah, do it on her face. The audience yells, do it on her face. Robin yells, do it. He pulls out just in time and shoots his hot sperm all over her plastic cheeks. Then the boys run over with their dicks out and they try to come on Gimme Gimme Dick, but she punches them all in the face and says, porn is a business, not a silly game. (laughs) And then Dr. Phil and Robin embrace. Their their marriage is rekindled and it's the most honest episode Dr. Phil has ever taped. The boys are still standing there with their dicks out, unable to come, and like most guests on Dr. Phil's show, their problem is not solved. Keep it going for Tyson Garash. Hello. Hello. All right. Hello. It's me again, your tiny old German father. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. You can call me Uns Winzicker Daddy, which of course in German means a tiny daddy. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. What's that? Is it a hand? Yes, I think so. Is it my hand? Probably. <laughs> Any hoozle, when we last spoke, I got the feeling that you don't believe I'm your real father. You said your real father was Wade Boggs, the Hall of Fame third baseman of the Boston Red Sox. This is simply not true. I am your real daddy. Your real tiny German daddy. <laughs> Don't you remember how we would celebrate Martinstag? It was a family tradition. We would all go out and light lanterns in the dark, and then we would find a little person, and then we would lock that little person in an old wooden tower. <laughs> and then we would find a cat, and we would shave the cat. And then we would paint the cat a very bright hue. 
And then we would place the cat in the corner of a room. And then none of us were allowed to look at the cat. Because, because the cat is meant to feel ashamed. You know, dad stuff. Any strudel. I can't help but feel guilty for missing most of your formative years. But as you know, I was very busy with my stories and word puzzles for the last 23 years. <laughs> Any flimble, I missed a lot. And for that, I am sorry. I'm sure you're in need of guidance, and I am happy to provide that for you now. Better late than never, as they say. I think it's time we had the talk. I put the talk in quotes because it represents intercourse. <laughs> ha 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 ha. You're only 29 years old and probably very confused. What is this between my legs? Is there a remote to turn it on? Should I talk to it? Yes. <laughs> Any Kindle, you may have feelings and desires. Maybe you... A you fascinate about you and another woman or you and another man or you and two much smaller men who resemble Andy Rooney in his golden years and they are trapped in some kind of rickety restrictive sexual device and only you have the password to release them when they think they have the password but they really don't you do and this <laughs> and this sense of power arouses you these feelings are perfectly natural. <laughs> when I was a boy in Darmstadt, my mother would order clothing brochures from the Neiman and Marcus. I would browse the pictures before my mother came home from work. I liked the woman from the fall calendar, 1950, excuse me, 1954 on page 29 in the wool hat. <laughs> I would look at her and become very aroused. I would become so aroused that my nipples would become erect. They were so erect that they would begin, that they would become achy. I had achy nipples. <laughs> Does this happen to you? Are your nipples becoming achy? Do you enjoy this sensation? Is this a normal father-son relationship? <laughs> if you could be any animal, what kind of animal would you be? I would be a tiger. Please write back with more questions and answers to my questions. <laughs> Invest in computers. The German Steve Jobs. Tyson Karash. Oh, keep it going for Maddie Ryan. Maddie Ryan. Hey, guys. So real quick, whatever uh, shred of childhood innocence that was left in my dark, terrible brain uh, is now gone uh, after writing that. I love this story deeply, which is why it became abundantly clear that it was kind of my only choice to write this on. Um, and I take you now to the bedroom of a small boy. Uh, it was a balmy summer evening in the 100-acre wood. And as the forest basked in the afterglow of the recently settled sun, a gentle breeze drifted over the hillside from the northwest. It was a sort of night that profoundly evokes a youthful recollection of a summer's eve, catching fireflies under the sprawling canopy of the willow trees frolicking about. The nocturnal symphony of woodland insects were just beginning to settle into the night's performance. In the distance, a fox barks. <laughs> Christopher Robin, alone in his room, gazed longingly out of his third-floor window, sitting on the windowsill, grasping his knees to his chest, 
He, he wished deeply to be outside. In the forest, he thought. There is no bedtime. He dreamed of the day when he could finally commune with nature and live amongst his best and only friends, Pooh Bear, Piglet, Tigger, and the rest of the gang, existing in the wilderness, becoming tranquility where their life would be eternally grand as long as they didn't eat those into the wild berries. <laughs> Christopher paused his train of thought and narrowed his focus back onto the present, where there were exciting possibilities on the horizon, exciting possibilities that he suspected would commence any moment now. Christopher loved evenings like, such as this, when, after systematically foregoing his schizophrenia medication for several days, <laughs> he could at last feel like himself again and join his friends in the forest for an adventure. Scientifically, the medication prevented him from experiencing the auditory hallucinations necessary for his anthropomorphic friends to come to life. Personally, Christopher called them no-no sad time pills. <laughs> but that didn't matter now. He hadn't taken no-no sad time pills in days, and tonight was going to be a night to remember. Tonight was different, thought Christopher. Tonight is the night I fuck Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Elated with the evening that was shaping up before him, Christopher made certain to dress properly th for the occasion, taking into account the fact that Pooh Bear doesn't even own pants. <laughs> Christopher Robin chose his softest one-piece pajama number, the old-fashioned kind with a butt flap that unbuttons, <laughs> as he would assuredly be utilizing that tonight, hopefully more than once. He quietly folded his down comforter and placed it in his knapsack, so it would be something plush to place on the forest ground when he sodomized his best friend slash stuffed animal slash personified mental illness. <laughs> Christopher qu crept quietly downstairs, stopping briefly in the kitchen to gather every jar of honey. His mother seemingly couldn't stop buying from farmer's markets despite never using it. He hedged his bets and grabbed the maple syrup, too. Tonight was going to be a long-haul endurance test, and if he ran out of the sweet juice, Winnie the Pooh might sober up, feel ashamed, and leave. No, no, thought Christopher Robin. You can't have that. As he, made it, as, he, as he made his way across the backyard, the glow from Christopher's lantern softly cut through the darkness, the way he would soon softly cut into Pooh Bear's phone tunnel. His, anticipa his anticipation grew with every step, the palpable tension building in his loins. His chest tightened with excitement, and he felt several drops of pre-cum drool out of his small penis like the mouth of a teething infant. In the distance, a fox barks. Christopher Robin was overjoyed as he approached the hollow tree that housed his impending fantasy. It took all the restraint not to shriek wildly into the darkness like some kind of wild savage that was also about to perform unspeakable acts on a child's toy. He raised his hand to knock on the door, but abruptly stopped and retreated back down the two stairs. He reached into his knapsack, pulled out a jar of honey, quickly disrobed, and spackled a thick, heavy layer of honey from the back of his taint to the tip of his engorged member. Using his hand like a trowel, he gently smoothed it over like a Freemason laying a cornerstone pulled his pajamas back on, and knocked on the door gently. Winnie the Pooh answered the door, surprised to see Christopher Robin out so late. Pooh Bear looked Christopher Robin in the eyes and could tell something was different. Something was wrong. There was fire in his eyes. Oh, Christopher Robin, hello, said Pooh. Hello, best friend, replied Christopher Robin. I brought you something, you silly old bear. Why, thank you, Christopher Robin. Oh, how I love gifts from best friends. What could it be? Rather than tell him, Christopher Robin slowly removed the pajamas from his shoulders, letting the large onesie cascade onto the floor, revealing his honey-dipped flesh trumpet, now glistening in the candlelight. This, said Christopher Robin, I brought you this. Is that a honey-covered meat weasel? Pooh Bear asked naively. I was going to say candy tickle stick, but I actually like meat weasel way better, said Christopher Robin. This is going to be easier than he thought. Go ahead, Pooh Bear. This honey is all for you. 
Oh boy, thank you, Christopher Robin, exclaimed Winnie the Pooh. And with that, he began unknowingly filleting Christopher Robin, engaging in the only way a honey-crazed, toothless toy bear knows how to get honey, honey off a penis. Awesomely. Christopher Robin threw back his head in ecstasy. It felt like he just put on a warm, velvet glove full of lapping tongues. After he finished the honey, Pooh wanted more. A lot more. Is there more honey for the meat weasel? Pooh asked. <laughs> oh, this isn't a meat weasel anymore, said Christopher Robin slyly. Now that the honey is gone, this is a bum fiddle. <laughs> a bum fiddle? Pooh, Pooh inquired eagerly. How do you play a bum fiddle? Turn around and I'll show you, said Christopher Robin. By now, Winnie the Pooh knew precisely what was taking place, but secretly remained aloof as he figured that was a major part of this whole role-play fetish thing that was going on here. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh turned around and arched his back, silently beckoning Christopher Robin to throw a wrench in his chocolate furnace. (laughs) Christopher Robin braced himself, took a breath, and plunged plunged his hog leg deep into his best friend's snake charmer. (laughs) Heffalumps and woozles, Christopher Robin exclaimed. As he continued to aggressively pump the bear like an offshore oil rig. But now they weren't alone. Tigger, after having just left a week long meth fueled orgy, was bouncing and scratching past Pooh's house. And Tigger, knowing intimate male pleasure when he hears it, burst in the door without knocking. Christopher and Pooh Bear didn't care, as they were violently chucking each other's genitals and nothing could break their stride. Surveying the scene and muttering something about his wheelhouse, Tigger pulled out a pipe, filled it with meth, and took a massive crank. Fully loaded and now bored with the mere two-man coitus taking place before him, Tigger ran out the door. He returned shortly with Eeyore, who had just lost his house, after Tigger thrashed it with his throbbing boner. Tigger ripped off Eeyore's tail and inserted his Pringle can-sized flesh hammer into the sad hole that once kept his tail attached. And then losing himself in the moment, Tigger reached up and pounded Eeyore in the back of the head, then laughing at his own literal interpretation of a donkey punch. (laughs) Oh, bother. Thanks for noticing. Eeyore responded unenthusiastically while he continued to lie there and take it because, frankly, he had nothing else better to do. Christopher Robin and Tigger were both getting close. They looked into each other's eyes as they individually plundered, plundered their friends' now cavernous anuses and high-fived, creating the most truly upsetting Eiffel Tower in the history of sex or towers. <laughs> they agreed they would climax simultaneously and began to concentrate intensely. As they prepared for their synchronized dismount, they heard the door creak open. Piglet, awoken from all the chaos, wandered into the room. They were afraid this would happen. <laughs> They had wanted to spare a poor, sweet piglet from witnessing such depravity, but alas, they had failed. Having already crossed every line imaginable, Christopher and Tigger knew what to do. They pulled out of their respective ravaged holes and began showering piglet and semen. <laughs> Given the sheer volume, even a poncho wouldn't have helped this poor little pig. Oh, dear, said piglet. My first bukkake. Christopher Robin, Pooh Bear, and Tigger looked at each other astonished. Their sweet little piglet had been a closet deviant all along, and they had no idea. Now, with everyone's cards on the table, they began a fierce, slippery five-man fuck train. All aboard, shouted Christopher Robin playfully. And the five friends rode that slippery fuck train all night, stopping only for water breaks and cum farts. Reaching a point of exhaustion and collapsing into each other's arms, their chests rising and falling in unison, thus forever changing the social landscape of the hundred-acre wood. And as they drifted into sleep, in the wee dawn hours of the freshly dewed morn, far in the distance, a fox barked. (laughs) 
Patty Ryan. Keep clapping for your final competitor, Lizzie Pilcher. Hi, I don't have a title for this. We'll just call it Grace Gull, okay? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. Merman's trembling hand slowly opens the door to Skeletor's chambers. <laughs> Skeletor rages, you half-wit nincompoop idiot piece of sea crap Did you think I was joking when I gave you orders? Well, uh, Skeletor, I'd like to argue that you don't have any skin on your face and thus incapable of showing emotion. <laughs> Why aren't you getting me my baby wipes? <laughs> Don't you remember what happened the last time I chafed? Remember how your comic books burned. Think about the smell of that coming from the copies of your sh- of Discovery Channel Shark Week that you pathetically pleasure yourself to. Yes, I remember, Skeletor, but please let me explain. Idiot, you have 30 seconds. Well, I, I was walking outside to get your baby wipes, and I saw He-Man outside pacing and chain-smoking and pounding Natty Ice. <laughs> Skeletor smiles, bring him. He-Man sulks in, nearly tripping over his own shame. Well, 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 Who do I, what do I owe the honor, He-Man? Listen, Skeletor, I'm going to give it to you straight. There's some serious shit going down with Grayskull. I fucked up and I need your help. Skeletor gleefully smiles, go on. Well, I've been doing a little online gambling, and I got behind on Grayskull's rent. Now I got this notice that Grayskull has been bought. Bought? Bought? Who the hell bought Grayskull? Uh, someone named Walmart? (laughs) Walmart? Who the hell is Walmart? I don't know. It's down in some other dimension called Earth. We gotta go there and destroy that. Destroy him. Fuck that, He-Man. This is your mess. Why should I help you? Skeletor, if Walmart gets a hold of Grayskull, what, what will happen to Eternia? They could take it over and we can both be finished. You're the only one that can help me. She-Ra's out on a sandals vacation with her boyfriend. <laughs> uh, idiot, you imbecile, you royal imbecile, you royal imbecile that rules imbecilia, whose gross domestic, domestic product is packaged imbeciles. Skeletor, we've got to go now. I've conjured a portal to Earth and it's not going to last long. He-Man and Skeletor stare at the portal. Here we are, Skeletor. It's the portal to Earth. Go ahead. Do you think I was born yesterday, imbecile man? You go first. This could be a trap. No, you go. No, you go, Skeletor. We don't have time for this shit. Go. Skeletor crosses his arms. No. Fine. Give me your hand and we'll go at the same time. He-Man wrenches Skeletor's hand from his crossed arms, and when their palms meet, a hot surge of electricity course up and down their veins as it pulsates the center of their loins. Unlike other portals where you usually spend your time reading Sky Mall, and trying not to die from sulfur fumes, this one was different. This one had red-hot, sexy light and the smell of chocolate fondue. The portal is so powerful, he puts He-Man and Skeletor under a trance that they're unable to move and conceal their swelling cocks that are nearly tearing holes in their loincloths. The portal open, <laughs> opens up and dra- drops them st- on a stack of miracle grow moisture controlled potting soil. Day, Skeletor does not notice that he's lying on top of He-Man, bringing in the sm- smelling and enjoying the faint smell of patchouli in He-Man's hair. Uh, can I help you, fellas? A gangly teenager 
employee asks. Skeletor lifts his head and reveals his bony face. Te- the teenager, unaffected, cool mask, bro, but you gotta get off those bags. I'm not cleaning up another bag of fucking bo- soil. Excuse me, Skeletor rages? You heard me. Get off those bags. Skeletor jumps off the stacks and towers over the garden center employees and yells, Are you Walmart? I'm here to destroy you and your nefarious plans to take over Grayskull. He-Man, lying in repose, distracted and is distracted by Skeletor's muscles. A woman rascals in and sees what's happened. She starts screaming and the entire store goes crazy. Walmart customers are panicking out and clamoring out of fright. The store bursts in anarchy. Cheez-Its fly everywhere. Cankles jiggle. Toby Keith memorabilia is destroyed. Meanwhile, in the midst of the chaos, He-Man and Skeletor are touring the store looking for King Walmart. Skeletor and He-Man pause momentarily to check out the baby wipes when all of a sudden, everything becomes quiet on the Walmart front. And they are approached by a crotchety old greeter wielding a shotgun from the gun department. He-Man and Skeletor start laughing. What are you going to do with that old timer? You think you can handle it? He-Man asks. He says, hell yes, motherfuckers, I was in the Civil War. The old man starts blasting his shotgun as Skeletor and He-Man run. Everywhere they run, they meet someone blasting shotguns. Women, men, children, teenage... (laughs) Pregnant teenagers are pumping shells. Skeletor and He-Man bolt towards the portal. Skeletor trailing behind because he's carrying too many baby wipes. (laughs) (laughs) Later on that night back at Scrape... Grayskull, defeated and wondering what they're going to do, nervously, Skeletor starts rubbing his ramhead staff, stroking it up and down and giving the head a little tickle. Uncontrollably, he pro- the He-Man approaches him and starts sucking his cock. Thus begins a week-long cornucopia of fucking. They rail each other in the kitchen, the, sur- the study, the conservatory, the hall, the dining room, the billy room, and even the ballroom. There's so much banging in Grayskull that it becomes a gushing geyser of jizz. The moat overflows with jizz and floods in the nearby hills. There's so much jizz around Grayskull that FEMA starts sending it trailers. <laughs> Finally, they realize that they can't doggy paddle and bone at the same time. They waddle out of Grayskull. Suddenly, Merman swims up to Skeletor and says, Look, Skeletor, look what I found. And, and what, what the fuck is this stuff? It kind of tickles. Skeletor grabs the, the bottle and reads the message. Oh my god, He-Man. He He-Man looks up, distraught. What? It's the deed to Grayskull. What? He-Man says, waddling through the syrupy liquid that's teeming with bob-headed and skull-headed sperm. <laughs> Walmart regretfully returns Grayskull because the location does not match Walmart's God-fearing family values and fears the intrusive echoes of, from the gay agenda. <laughs> <laughs> And that's how Grayskull and Eternia were saved from the evil empire of Walmart. Lizzie Pilcher, stay right there, Lizzie. Let's get everybody back up from round one. We will be voting on a winner based on your applause, but first I'm just going to remind you of who everybody was in order and the subject that they read. So we started with Derek Sheen with Snow White, then we had Amber Tozer with Dr. Phil, Tyson Crash with what I can only assume was his own weird German father. <laughs> Matty Ryan with Winnie the Pooh, and finally Lizzie Pilcher with He-Man. So, with your applause, starting with Derek Sheen, Snow White. Amber Tozer, Dr. Phil. Tyson Karash and his weird German father. 
Maddie Ryan, Winnie the Pooh. Lizzie Pilcher, He-Man. All right. These Chicago boys need to take a step forward. We've got to have a runoff between uh, Tyson and Maddie. So pick a favorite. Uh, starting with Tyson Karash, We're German Father. Maddie Ryan, Winnie the Pooh. Tyson and Maddie, ladies and gentlemen. Big hand for everybody from round one. Well, that does it for round one. Congratulations, Maddie and Tyson. To hear round two from this show featuring Matt McCarthy, Matt Knudsen, Jocelyn Hughes, Dave Ross, and Jeff Wattenhofer reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions, download episode 24. Upcoming shows. I'm at Latitude 44 in Sioux Falls on Monday, August 26th, doing stand-up with Kyle Kinane. August 27th, Kyle and I will be at The Waiting Room in Omaha doing competitive erotic fan fiction with a bunch of great Omaha comics. September 1st, I'm at Bumbershoot in Seattle doing the show. September 7th, competitive erotic fan fiction at Union Hall in Brooklyn. And uh, details on all of these can be found in the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Facebook group or by following me on Twitter, at Brian Cooking. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.